see all of you this morning. What a beautiful morning to come to worship, be together. We appreciate you being here today. And, uh, you know, I've been attending 8.30 service, well, ever since we had 8.30, I guess. And I came in for the 10.30 one time last week, I think, my first time back here. And it's an honor to be here in uh, to welcome this morning. I'm glad to see all of y'all. We had 107 this morning, and that's down somewhat, but I hope some have changed now to the 1030, and uh, the number will be good here today. But it's great to have all of you here. You're in for a, uh, a great lesson. I can testify to that. Ken did a great job this morning with a really good topic. So, it's great that we have a beautiful day and the opportunity and the freedom to come to worship. Uh, if you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the beautiful day you extended to us. We're so thankful for all the blessings we have that come from you. We're thankful for this congregation that we have here in Boonville. We're so thankful for each member we're thankful for all the work that our people do. And Father, we pray your blessings upon all the efforts we have. And we're, we're so thankful for the privilege we have to worship. And Father, we, all, we pray always that that would be a freedom that we always have to enjoy. And we're so thankful to have Brother Ken here with us to bring the lesson to us. We pray for him today as he comes and delivers the, at this hour. Pray for the others that are participating in the worship this morning. We pray that we worship in a way that be pleasing to you. And Father, we give you the honor and the glory for all the good things that we have to share and enjoy in this congregation. We pray your blessings continue to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First song this morning, Unto the Old Lord. Let's all sing together. Yeah. Hey. 
Most Holy Father in heaven, we are thankful unto you for life, for the portion of health we enjoy, especially for the good weather that we've enjoyed throughout the past week, for the beautiful day that is ours to come together today to worship you. We're eternally thankful for all the good things that you do for us every day. We're thankful for the church here at Boonville. We pray, Father, that you would continue to be with our leadership. We pray that you would give 
all wisdom that the things that are done and said would be those things that would cause the congregation here to grow and that your word would grow and increase throughout this area and throughout even the entire world as a result of our efforts here. We know, Father, that we do have people that are suffering. We have people that have sickness and other problems. We pray for those that are sick. We pray especially today for Patrilla Maddox, Randy Mooney, Adrian Edge, Becky Kendrick, Ginger Weeks, Tim Floyd, and Nikki Evans. We pray, Father, that you would be with them, if it be your will. We pray they may be restored to their normal health and be able to do the things that they are used to doing, those things that they would like to continue to do. We also pray, Father, for all those that are receiving Bible correspondence courses as a, a result of the effort that's being put forth here. We pray for all those involved in, in that effort, as well as those that are receiving the courses, we pray that as a result of the effort that's been put forth, that much good will be done in that area. We pray for Ken as he comes forward this morning to deliver a message to us. We pray that you would give him a good recollection of those things that he is prepared to say and help us to listen in view of eternity, realizing, Father, the importance of repentance the uh, necessity of, of being willing to say we're wrong and to ask for forgiveness. And remembering also that uh, if we don't forgive others, that we will not be forgiven. We pray, Father, that uh, you would be with all the ones in the congregation this morning. We pray that you would bless them for being here and that as we go out, that we would carry your word with us, that we would teach our friends and our neighbors that uh, much good might be done as a result of our effort in our own communities and with our own families. We pray, Father, that you would continue to forgive us as we continue to repent. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd like to mark them to taste the song, be bring Christ your broken life. Psalm before our scripture reading this morning, it is well with my soul. If it's convenient for you, please stand as we sing this song. <clears throat>
reading this morning will be in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The following scripture says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved to repentance. For you fell to godly grief, so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Thank you very much, Ethan. Good morning to everybody. I'm just practically breathless from singing, aren't you? You just commit yourself and just, boy, just belt it out there. And doesn't it feel good to be able to sing that it is well with my soul? Is it well with your soul today? Good. I'm so glad to hear those words. And, you know, I, I don't know, maybe there's a few couldn't say that. I don't know. Maybe something's heavy on your heart. If that's true, you've come to the right place. Because this is a place where we make remedy for the broken soul. This is the place where we commune with the Lord. And, boy, if your bucket was empty when you came in here, you should leave with it overflowing and sloshing about. And I'm just so thankful to God that you chose to participate in our time of worship today. We actually started talking about some fundamentals of the scriptures back in January. 
We've talked about the Bible and fundamental issues about it. And now we've begun, starting last month, looking at some fundamentals related to our salvation. We started by thinking about the power of faith. Now today, I want us to think about the leadings of repentance. And you notice that the word leading is in the plural because there's more to repentance than perhaps most people think. So I want to share with you some insight from the text that Ethan read for us. And we'll be looking at some examples in the scriptures to fortify that understanding. When we leave here today, we should all know exactly what it is to be repentant. Before we start, let's pray that God will bless us in this time of worship as we meditate upon his word together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege to be able to participate in this time of worship. And Father, we thank you that we were able to sing these songs of praise to magnify you. We just sang that it is well with our souls. I pray, Father, that is exactly right. But I also pray, Lord, that if there is something lacking in any one of us, that we'll discover that and that we'll rectify it. Especially today, Father, I pray that you will help us to know exactly what it is to be repentant, to have a heart that is willing to submit in obedience to your will. And even when we become obstinate, when we sin, I pray that we will still have such a spirit that we will regret the choices that we have made against you and that we will return very quickly so that once again, it will be well with us. Thank you, Father, for all that you intend to accomplish in us today. Help me to communicate well, but help our hearers, even in spite of my flaws, to be able to accept your truth and for it to abide in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, repentance is one of those subjects most people in the religious world will agree is absolutely necessary. The Bible speaks so much about repentance. But I'm afraid that understanding exactly what repentance entails is something that's a little bit misunderstood. So today, I want to go about through the use of this text and other scriptures to define for us very clearly the process that we go through in order to be a repentant sort of person. It is not just one action, but as you see in this text, it is several things working together that results in a change of our mind and our heart and causes us to go in a different direction. Now, you will notice in the scriptures a lot of instances in which repentance is mentioned. For instance, John the Baptist, who is the precursor to Jesus, who prepares the way. We actually have a record of the sermon that he preached. You can find that sermon in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. 
It's a very simple one. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came along, Jesus had his own sermon. But Jesus' sermon was short, just like John's. In fact, according to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it was exactly like John's. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, it said that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so that message of repentance was preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, that first gospel sermon was preached by Peter and the other apostles. And when that gospel message reached hearts that were pricked, the result was a cry for knowledge. What is it that we need to do? And Peter told them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Notice that lead. The same thing that we noticed in Luke 24 to be done was done. Repent and be baptized. A little bit later, very next chapter, chapter 3 and verse 19 of Acts we have the idea of repentance and conversion. Repent and be converted. The purpose of that was to have sins blotted out. The same idea that was expressed there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The forgiveness of sins. Repent and change, in other words. And then Peter, when he was writing his letters actually included that same notion when it came to our relationship with God. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, with God, you know, he is not putting aside his long-suffering nature. In fact, it says that he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now notice there are only two conclusions in that text. God doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to repent. But it doesn't take you very much observation, does it? To realize that if I don't repent, well, that means I'm going to, I'm going to perish. That's the very same message that Jesus preached in the book of Luke chapter 13, verse 3, and also verse 5. Unless you repent, you will perish. Here's the thing about repentance. And I see it here in the text. It says that godly sorrow leads or produces repentance and it leads to salvation. Repentance, that is not an easy thing to do. Because repentance means at its very core that I'm going to have to change. I'm doing something that's not right and now I must make a determination based on my sorrow toward God that I'm going to do differently. I'm going to leave the sinful thing and I'm going to return to God. 
repentance is against our willpower. We typically do what we do because that's what we want to do. It's godly sorrow that will lead us to repentance. The text, verse 10, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. That repentance is dependent on a a deep sorrow, and, and he defines it for us. It is the sorrow that is attributable to God. I'm sorry, related or in the direction toward God. Now, that might be a hard concept to grasp. Because when I do things, I, I'm affecting other people. I can see that. But this text is drawing on the idea that not only the effect on others, but specifically of God himself. Because God has communicated the things that are supposed to make my life run right in relation to others. I'll give you an example of that. Jesus brought to mind, in terms of repentance, the Ninevites of old. The text is actually Matthew chapter 12 And verse 41, in that text, he says that the Ninevites, that they turned in regard to their repentance. They repented, he says, at the preaching of Jonah. Okay, so Ninevites repented, they repented in response to what Jonah was preaching. My immediate question would be, well, Jesus, what what did he preach? All we have to do is go back to the book of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4, we actually find out the third sermon that I'm going to quote for you today. So the first two were Jesus and John the Baptist. Here is the sermon of Jonah the prophet as he went and preached among the Ninevites. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Or or some translations have the word destroyed. In 40 days, this city of Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So Jonah is going about preaching that. Well, these people, they already knew about the Jews. They already knew about the power of their almighty God. And the threat that's coming touched their hearts. They believed what Jonah was saying on God's behalf. And as a result of the message that was preached, that short little sermon, verse 10 tells us that God was watching. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. Now, the operative word here in this text is turn. God was going to destroy this city because of their wicked ways. Once Jonah preached the message that they were going to be destroyed, they were going to face punishment for the wicked things that they were doing, they repented. It's right there in that text. You see it? They had turned from their evil ways. To repent means to turn away from and head in the opposite direction. Now, we see the effect It wasn't just words that they spoke. We see the evidence as God is witnessing them. Yeah, I see, God says, that they're turning. But not only that, they exemplified it outwardly in their own behavior. In fact, the entire nation partook in this. 
in that from the greatest to the least, they covered themselves in sackcloth. That was a outward display of what was going on the inside of them, of how contrite they felt, repentant, turning from their evil ways, demonstrated in the sackcloth, removing all of the, all of the jewelry and the outward physical display of common, commonness. We are now in the pit of despair. Even the king himself not only was covered in sackcloth, as were all the animals, including the people, but the king was in ashes as well. He has come to the very depths and the pits of despair. We have sinned against God. And they fasted. And so there was the display of a turn of a change of heart. Jesus said, that, that's repentance. That is repentance. I see it similarly in some New Testament examples. For instance, with the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, the text tells us that those Thessalonians had turned from idols to serve the true and the living God. Now, you saw what happened because you're sensitive to it now, right? They turned from the idols. They had been employed by them. They, they were involved in the worship of those false gods. Their lives were driven by the attraction to that kind of worship. But now they have accepted the truth regarding the living God. And they have turned their hearts and their minds away from that sinful practice. They've turned away from it. And now they have turned to God. They have left that sinful behavior behind them. It isn't like they said, well, you know, we still like these little pieces that, that we used to enjoy with the, the false gods. So we're going to hang on to that. And then we're just going to kind of mix it with the God of heaven. And, you know, we're just kind of have one foot in both realms. That, that is not what happened. They left behind the idolatrous practice in order to give themselves totally to the things of God. That is repentance. I also see that, for instance, those people who were using magic in Acts chapter 19 and verse 19, that when they turned away from their magic arts, when they repented and turned to the true and the living God, those things that they once used in their magical arts, the magic books, the Bible says in that text that they burned them. And the value attributed to the loss of those books was, was 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, you don't need to get your calculator out and try to determine how much money that is. That, that's basically irrelevant. The statement in that text is to suggest to us that this was a great sacrifice. And it isn't like they said, well, you know what, we're, we're going to follow God, but these books are very valuable, so we're just going to hang on to them. Maybe we can sell them to somebody else later. Or maybe if this Christianity don't work out, it, we'll hold on to the books and then we'll have kind of a backup plan. That is not what they did. They completely cut their ties with their past life. And not only many of them had been using those magic arts as income and the value of those books, you say, well, they could have sold them to, to some other dupe out there. Not so. They said, we're done with that. 
And we're going to demonstrate our contriteness, our separation from those old things to get rid of the evil that was in our lives. We're just going to burn them. We're going to take no value whatsoever out of that old life that we lived. Repentance is turning your back on the old and embracing the new, following Jesus. It was the Philippian jailer, head over that prison where Paul and Silas found themselves in the inner prison, in stocks. They had been scourged. That means that they had been whipped mercilessly until their backs bled, and then they were put in those confining conditions. But that Philippian jailer, he heard the gospel, and he was repentant. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 33, the text tells us that he washed their stripes. Now understand, he couldn't go back in time and undo what he had done. He couldn't unwhip them. They still had their injuries. But what he could do is show that he is a changed person. What he could do is demonstrate his love and compassion for these that he once looked down upon and hated. And he did the only thing he could. He washed their stripes. This text here in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, is actually a response to what had happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because in that text, we have a man who is so taken in sin that he has taken to himself his own father's wife. Such sin is not even mentioned among the Gentiles. They, they as a church, had accepted that and somehow were just kind of going along with it. And Paul just rebukes that church and tells them they got to separate that leaven from the lump lest they all become infected with sin. It was very strong language. And that church apparently took to heart so much so they became very oppressive toward that sinner. And Paul is like, you know what, I'm so glad to hear that repentance happened. I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Nobody likes to see the aftermath of sin and its effect, and especially of that effect on the church. Paul says, thank you. Thank you for having that heart of, of a motivating love for God. When you sin, recognizing, I, I haven't just sinned against others, I have sinned against God. And, and the sorrow that I feel isn't just in regard to my relationships. The sorrow that I feel is knowing that I've broken my fellowship with God. That godly sorrow will produce repentance in me. I want to change. I want to do better. Now, our text that says that godly sorrow is different from worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Worldly sorrow only produces death. Now, why is that? That's because worldly sorrow does not produce repentance. Worldly sorrow goes something like this. You rob a bank, you get caught... And you're like, oh no, I'm sorry to the judge. 
What you really mean is, I'm sorry I got caught, because if I hadn't got caught, I'd still be robbing banks. In a more common sense, worldly sorrow would be, well, I committed this sin, I'll keep committing this sin, I'll keep committing this grievance toward this other person and God until I get caught. Then when I get caught, oh, I feel bad. You know what? I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. But in your heart, even if you never do it again, you're still thinking, boy, I wish I could. I wish I could. And given the opportunity, you probably would. No repentance. I have not changed my heart. Worldly sorrow leads to death because the sin doesn't change. And you know what sin brings. Sin brings death. Don't just be sorry for what you've done. Have sorrow and grief over how that affected somebody else. Especially how that affects God. And turn from your evil way. Godly sorrow produces or leads to repentance. Repentance leads to reformation. When I say reformation, I mean a change, a, a reforming. And let me give you a couple of examples. Jesus uses two parables in order to make this point. One's pretty obvious. The other one's set within the mix of a lot of lessons that Jesus would teach. Let's first go to Matthew chapter 21. We're not going to look at the entire parable. It's the parable of the man with his two sons in the vineyard, but we're just going to look at verses 28 and 29. So this father who has the vineyard, he goes to the first son and he says, work in my vineyard. And that son says, I will not. But later, he regretted it and went. Okay, that's, that's the lesson that applies to us. Repentance. Now, here was a son who was initially rebellious. The father says, here's my command, go work in my vineyard. Son says, no, I refuse. I will not do that. And then as he gets away, has a little bit of a time, I guess, think about it. Comes to the realization that he's wrong. I should have gone. Boy, I messed up. But instead of just staying right there feeling sorry for himself, but not repentant, instead he does repent. He regrets it, and he goes and he works in the vineyard. He may have hated working in the vineyard, but he had made the determination, I'm going to do what my father says. Initially, no, but he repented. He changed his mind, his heart. He turned around and went the right way. Reminds me of God, doesn't it, you? God commands us. And sometimes, sometimes we might say, no, we'd better come to our senses. When we do, let's have the heart, the wherewithal, the godly sorrow enough to regret that, to repent and return to God. Another example that Jesus gives is actually in the midst of a, a much bigger lesson. It's in Luke 15. That's the chapter of lost things. 
But in verses 11 to 32, we have what's referred to what we call the story of the prodigal son. And you know that that story has a father who has a son, wants his inheritance, wants to go off into a foreign country, and he spends all of that inheritance on prodigal living, wasteful living. And then he is brought as low as a man can be brought. And then verse 17, it says that he came to himself. In other words, he knew better. He knew he had been raised knowing better, but he had chosen to kick against his father's instructions. He, he had chosen to kick against the life that he had known. He thought he knew better and he went his own way. But finally, he came to himself. He came to the person that he was always meant to be. I have made a terrible mistake. And so verse 18, he resolves, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. If you will, uh, make me as one of your hired servants. So I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. I'm not even worthy to be a committed servant of yours. Just make me a hireling. I mean, you could hire me one day and fire me the next. I'm not worthy. But, but this, right? He came to himself. He's going to return to the Father. And here's what he brings the Father. I have sinned. It sounds similar to me to another event that Jesus describes for us. Luke chapter 18 at verse thir uh, verses 8 and 9 specifically. Or verse 13. Verse 13. Where you have the tax collector and the Pharisee who have gone to the temple to pray. Okay. Here is the prayer of that tax collector in verse 13. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's what we're doing when we're repenting. We're owning up to what we've done. I have sinned against you. I am filled with sorrow over having transgressed. I have come to myself. I realize the sin that I've committed and I'm sorry. I, I have sinned. I throw myself at your mercy. So if I have godly sorrow, I make that determination to do what is right and I turn from that sin. I've committed myself once again to that which I knew before. What's right then I have repented. I've been restored. But now, that matter of restoration also leads to what I would call restitution. And what I mean by that is, you know, in this world, <laughs> we're, we're, people are mistreating other people all the time. And, and I'll give you a simple example of that. People taking advantage of you. 
invariably every single day, about 10 times a day, I'll get phone calls. I get a phone call from California, Washington. I'll get a phone call from the area code where I once lived, where I first bought my phone. My son even got a call from himself one time. No joke. He looked at the phone. It said he was calling himself. You know who it was? It was a telemarketer. Now those telemarketers, they are up to no good. They want to sell people who don't even own cars an extended warranty on their car. Or they want to, want to sell you an extension on your loan or, or something they assume you will want to take advantage of. They are up to no good. So, on average, 10 times a day, I just hit stop or don't answer because I am already attuned to their schemes. But, you know, in life, people are up to no good, too. They do things to others they think nothing about. They create grievances. They create obstacles in relationships. If I'm a repentant person and I've sinned against somebody else, it seems that my natural inclination would be to somehow try and make amends. Now, I know, I know, there are some situations that exist that you can't hardly make right. If I murder somebody... I can't bring them back from the dead. So I can't perfectly restore. I can't perfectly make amends. Esau is a sad example of someone who had everything and lost it all. He had the birthright. He had the blessing of his father. But he lost them. And he could not regain them. And the Bible says that the only thing that poor man could do was just cry about it. Some things, once done, you can't undo. But if I have a repentant spirit, as much as I can do, I will do. Because I'm thinking the best now of someone that maybe at one point I thought the worst of. That I hurt. And in the process, I hurt God. I think of Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19 at verse 13, in that text, or verses 8 and 9, in that text, Zacchaeus says, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, Zacchaeus was demonstrating a repentant spirit. Lord, if I've done something wrong, I want you to know I, I, have, I have the mind to make it right. I want to do the right thing. Even if someone were to falsely accuse me of that, I wanted somehow to clear my name. I want better relations with people. I want people to know I'm different. It is at the heart of what the lawyer learned when he questioned Jesus about the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. 
At verse 39, we get the answer. But, you know, first Jesus responded that the great commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says this from our text. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to love others like I would love myself. That's reminiscent, of course, of the great commandment that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. As much as I am able to do, I will act on the basis of godly sorrow. My sin not only affects others, but it affects my relationship with God. That godly sorrow will produce repentance in me, a commitment to turn from my sin and to do what's right. And in doing what's right, as much as is possible for me, I will provide restitution. I will make amends. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. For the alien sinner, God says you must repent. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness, for the remission of your sins. And that text we just noted, repent, believe in the gospel, obey the gospel. If you're already a Christian and you've committed sin against God, the Bible leads off with your responsibility to repent as well. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, that text says to repent and pray that the very thought of your heart might be forgiven you. The truth of the matter is that all of us if we've committed sin against God, must either repent or we will perish. If someone needs to take those actions today, your opportunity is right before you. Either in obedience to the gospel or in repentance for sin as a child of God. Turn back to God. Repent of your ways. Be motivated by godly sorrow. If anybody needs to respond, now is your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing together. I
Appreciate our brother. We'd all be a lot better off if we had more of his heart. Uh, we all could 
use more repentance in our life. I know I, for one, certainly could. Appreciate you, brother. Prepare our minds for Lord's Supper, number 315, when I survey the wondrous cross. When I survey the Somebody will bring it to you. I'm going to read uh, what Luke has to say about the Lord's Supper. When the hour had come, and I'll be reading from Luke 22, starting with verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy Son, Jesus, that came to this earth and died on the cruel cross for that we could have forgiveness of our sins. Let us now take of this bread, which represents the body of our Savior, who died on that cruel cross. Let us examine ourselves and take of this in a way that we well pleasing unto thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Let's pray. Also, Father, we thank thee for this, the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood of our Savior that died for us. And now let us examine ourselves and partake of this in the way that we will please God thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This concludes this part of the Lord's Supper, and you can see on the screen behind me all the different ways that you can give. And now let us pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this day and all the wonderful blessings that You blessed us with. Father, we thank Thee that we live in a country where we can come and worship Thee without any harm in any way. And also we thank Thee for our health, for our jobs, and for our ways that we can earn a living, support our families and the congregation. And let us now give back the portion of our means that we've been prospered. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. want to take a few minutes of your time this morning. I hope you'll be patient with us. You know, there's some things that we just need to take time to keep you informed as a congregation of what we're doing, in particular today as pertains to mission. We want you to know all the areas where we're involved in mission work. So we to do that, we're going to go back and review what we did in 2019. Of course, 220 was during the pandemic and hardly anything went on. But we're gonna go back to 2019 and review that and take a look at what was doing before COVID hit. Okay, our outreach expenditures 2019 before the COVID, I said, and benevolence and missions. Okay, look at Guyana. You're familiar with that for a long time. Uh, Guyana, Brother Roger Comstock replaced Jerry Davison after he passed away as uh, overseeing that with the church that he works through. And look at Indian Mission. Brother Comstock, you may remember, come earlier in the year and talked to us here and gave us a report on that. Uh, Indian Missions. Uh, we've been involved a long time. Brother Wayne Barrier, he comes in October each year. We look forward to that. Uganda Missions, uh, Foot Street is very much involved in that, so we assist them with the works going on there. Our Mexico Missions, uh, Lake Harbor and Brother John Pig. John, Brother Pig has been here not long ago in uh, Uganda. Uh, Foot Street is involved with that, and Uganda will be hearing something from Foot Street, and also then Jerry, Brother Barry will be here later, as I mentioned. Uh, I would mention, I'm not going to name all, go through every one individually, so you read sort of as I talk. Uh, I wouldn't mention our Golden Circle mission trip. 
Uh, two times they did that during that year. Bay Springs, Mississippi was one, and Campbell, Missouri was one. Southeastern Institute of Biblical Studies, we sponsored Brother Michael Tanksley, and you may recall he and his family came here and preached for us and visited with us. And then individual mission trips at $4,500. Uh, we have a lot of requests for particularly students at Freed Harmon, students at Mississippi State Student Center, and other lot of places around uh, ask for support. And anybody going on a good mission trip, most of the time for a week, then we're willing to help support them. Uh, also, during this time, the Thailand mission trip, Brother uh, Greg Pollock made, he gave us a good report on that. You're familiar with that. The Day Springs TV program coming on Sunday morning. We have sponsored Brother James Seeger. has been doing that many, many years. Biblical Institute of Central America. We sponsor a preacher student there. So he can be in the home country then and, and work. Uh, looking at the on down to the Sunflower Church of Christ. We supported them, trying to assist them there with their work so that they can continue to worship there. Um, cottage ministry, you read on down through there. Uh, the bottom two, benevolence and food pantry. Y you know, I hope all y'all realize the work that's put into those two areas here. In, uh, in our home congregation with people in our community. Uh, that's a lot of work. They do a great job. We appreciate them for all they do. But it's a mission outreach to all those people that we're able to assist. Live streaming. I hope all of y'all have learned to do this to some extent, YouTube or Facebook or something, uh, and how valuable it's been to us through the pandemic. You know, not only our people here, but people all over the country have, have learned about our live streaming and have tuned in and watched it. I've, I've had a lot of people who've talked about me, my family that lives away, then they, they watch this. And so that's been very valuable to us and will be continuing in the future. Uh, traveling on down, uh, exposure, youth events in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, three or four years ago, I guess now, the um, uh, probably Jordan found out about this somewhere or another, and, and our kids have uh, been taking that trip over there. They come back saying one of the best things they've ever attended, and uh, it's, it's been a good experience for them. We've kept up with that, so we're really proud that that has been able to be done. Okay, uh, I'll read through that for me. And then uh, might mention Palms Beach Lake Church of Christ. That was a place that was severely damaged by one of the hurricanes come through. So we were able to assist in that work. And then the di uh, diaster uh, relief work. Brother Jim in the Golden Circle has done a lot of work to help them as well by going and helping them to uh, prepare their trucks and all to be able to go when, when they're needed. Total amount of all that we looked at there for 2019, $263,690. Brother Jim. 
Well, you can see the foundation that uh, of mission and, and outreach and benevolence that the congregation has a legacy of as we were planning what we're going to do in 2021. And we faced a couple of financial challenges. One challenge was we needed to start paying off the construction loan. The other challenge was the giving for 2020 was down from what our budget had been. And so we wanted to keep the main thing the main thing. And so as we started planning our mission work for 2021, we formed a mission team. That team had two deacons, two elders, and one minister as the chair. That, that group meets on a monthly basis and is charged with overseeing part of the things that Larry shared with you. Specifically, the missions team area of responsibility includes those four primary foreign mission areas that, that Larry talked about. As if we get more money than we're planning on, these are the areas that we would probably increase our uh, support of. And also we'd start doing more uh, actual trips to oversee those areas of work. In addition to those foreign mission areas, we have assigned this mission team responsibility for the items that you see there on the screen. A lot of them Larry was talking about earlier, but certainly things like the jail ministry we'd like to get back into. Currently we're sort of blocked out of the jail because of COVID restrictions, but most of those others are a wide open opportunity. We want the youth mission trip to continue. We want mission trips within the United States. We want our mission effort to not only be foreign, but to be here. And as Ken mentioned in one of his recent lessons, just the fact that we, what we do with our tracks will be a, a mission effort in and of itself. Well, when you look at that, this mission team is gonna be asked to have oversight over $64,340 worth of the work there are some other purely mission items, such as newspaper ads and the other things listed there, but the total comes up to about 75,900 of purely mission items. Well, what's the source of this? Well, as we started planning, we said, we'll take money out of the general fund to cover those th mission items that the mission team is not responsible for. We have about $34,088 that we can allocate from the general fund to the mission team. It, because of not having some of the opportunities in 2020 due to COVID, we had $11,302 left over in the mission account. We can put that towards this. We had some memorials and honorariums, almost $1,000 worth that were dedicated to missions. We can put that into this account. And that leaves about $18,000 so that we can totally fund that. We have a special fifth Sunday, next Sunday. And traditionally, our mission Sunday has generated about $18,000. And so we're counting on that next Sunday. If we have more than that, then that will give us the opportunity to do even more 
mission work. But the total from those various sources will give us the money that we need. And so, as you think about your giving for next Sunday, we ask that you pray about this, and we are confident that with your and the Lord's help, that we will be able to do all of this mission work that we have planned. Thank you very much. And now our announcements. Ah, good Sunday morning. We had 107 at 8.30, and 155 are here now. That's 262. It's a little lower than lately. Uh, I don't have a lot of announcements. I did have a big pad, but not a lot of announcements. So I usually run out of room. But quickly, um, well, not too quickly. Let's see. There is a golden circle breakfast at Ag News tomorrow morning. The bus will leave at 8.15. And... K through sixth grade will have a family food and fun night Sunday, June the 6th. Meet at the new kids' town after evening classes. Bring desserts and lawn, lawn chairs. We will eat in the middle pavilion. Hot dogs, chips, and drinks will be provided. See Guy or Amelia if you have any questions. I'm sorry if I wasn't out there in time to get any announcements from anyone else. But uh, anyhow, let's, uh, let's go to our Lord in prayer before we are dismissed. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for each and every soul in this room. We're so thankful for each one has a contribution to give. We're so humble and thankful to be able to come to thee in prayer. The reality of thy love, may it be shared with those who live in wrongfulness and live in denial and live in hatred. May your light shine through us so that they may see it and that they may come to thee through your son. May we always do the right thing. May we always do the right thing for the right reason. May people see in us that gift that you give us. And Father, we do wrong. And Father, we ask for thy mercy. And for we're so thankful for thy plan and the love you give to us. And we're so thankful for Jesus and what he did so many years ago that affects the world today and through eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.